0: You're listening to the Volleyball by Design podcast. Today, we have a special guest, a national champion. In fact, the 2022 Canadian National Championship Volleyball Team, the head coach, is here to talk to us and he's going to tell us and share his journey to the national championship. And in this episode, there are so many nuggets that you can take away and apply to your gym. I can't stress enough. So if you're driving, you're going to want to focus well on the road as well as the episode, and if you're not, get out of paper and pen because you're going to want to write some of this stuff down. We dive into everything it took to win a national championship, and you'll be surprised at some of the things he said that were really important that you can implement right now to turn your team into that championship-minded team. So it's an episode you don't want to miss. Stay tuned. The Volleyball by Design Podcast. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to episode 95 of the Volleyball by Design Podcast. How is everyone doing out there today? Hope you guys are doing well. Um, you know, uh, I got a lot of great feedback on my last week's episode regarding uh you talking about parents and five strategies to make it work. So if you missed last week's episode, definitely go take a listen. Um, I've had a lot of coaches reach out about that one, which is interesting because I've never done an episode about parents before. So it was cool to see hear that feedback and have the questions uh being brought in. Um but before we get into today's episode, just want to introduce myself. I'm Coach Brian Singh, I am the host of the volleyball by design podcast. So if we have any new listeners, welcome. I appreciate you tuning in, uh, and I you have 94 episodes. To get caught up on, you know. Every episode, what we try to do is we try to deliver tangible things that you can take back to your gym and apply right away. So no matter what episode you listen to, you should always be able to get something back that you can go back in the gym, that you can apply to your own coaching, your own team, and and see results. That's what this podcast is about. It's about trying to help you get results. And for my regular listeners, as always, you know. You guys know what it is. Thank you so much for tuning in. You know, I appreciate all of you, and I hope today—actually, I don't hope. I know today will be an interview that is packed with value. Uh, it is, uh, man, it's going to be amazing. So, uh, my guest that I have on today—I actually had him on last year. Um, he's the head coach at the University of Alberta. Um, he Also specializes in setting as well. But I'm proud to say that he is a national champion coach, 2022 Canadian U-Sports national championship coach, and that is Brock Davidek. Brock, how are you, man?
1: Doing well, man. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me back, Brian. It's always a pleasure uh, chatting with you.
0: Hey, I appreciate you coming back. And for my listeners all over the world, um, in the U.S., we have the NCAA national championship game. In Canada, we have what we call the U-Sports national championship game. So it's the exact same thing. It is the best university in the country. And Brock, the head coach was able to get that win, um, over a oh, uh, couple well, last weekend, a couple weekends ago. I can't remember when, but and it was this past Sunday, this past Sunday. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. This past <laughs> Sunday to become a national champion. So first of all, Brock, how does that feel hearing national champion coach? Uh,
1: it feels surreal. I think it's more of our, our team. Uh, our team is national champions, but I mean, that that's, uh, very kind of you to say uh, and it feels great i, I it's it's like uh, honestly a 3 year process because we had the 2019 20 season that got canceled at the same gym where right. we where we won this weekend at in Winnipeg at the IGAC center and then we had the covid year and then we returned this weekend and it's uh i mean uh, yeah surreal, man like to do it to to pay tribute to those that were with us in the 1920 season um because there were guys that you know they were done their eligibility um, who got robbed of that, of that opportunity. It feels pretty special for, for everyone involved.
0: Yeah, no, no kidding. And what were you guys ranked going into, into this championship?
1: We were ranked third.
0: Right. And Trinity Westerners ranked first.
1: Yeah, they were ranked
0: first. Right. And, and so for our listeners, uh, Trinity Western has been ranked first for a while as the number one team in Canada. And, um, it was, it was an amazing victory for you guys to knock them off. So let's, let's talk about this. I want to, I want to dive deeper in because I know from a coaching standpoint, I, I, I know our listeners want to know, you know, how exactly did this happen? So can I, can I take it back a little bit and let's start about, let's talk off season. So the summer before, you know, we, we, even touched the floor. What is going through your mind? How are you planning? Are you trying to, you know, develop a plan because you know, you have to beat the best team in the country. Are you just like, what's your mindset? How are you planning? What goes through that process?
1: It was a little different because when the divisional structure was announced, uh, there was some planning needed. So normally uh, we play in the Canada West, which has 13 teams. And normally we play all of those 13 teams Um, because of COVID and financial fallout from COVID. uh, The powers that be split us up into um, three divisions. So the BC division, which had five teams, our division, which had four and the, the Prairie division, which had four. And we only played in our own division. So uh, the big planning things for the team was how do we get uh, enough competition outside of our conference um, to make sure we're staying competitive because we knew that we'd be playing the same teams. But we also wanted to, to get competition against who we perceived as the best teams in the country. Now at the time, even though Calgary ended as one of the best teams in the country, uh, we didn't like the – we didn't perceive that that was going to happen. And all credit to them, they had a phenomenal season. Um, so we, we arranged a lot of uh, preseason and, and Christmas break exhibitions. So normally in a, in a normal regular season, we play, say, Trinity Western or UBC uh, twice each. This year, we played them, I think, six times or seven times. We, we played them way more. So wow. we wanted to get that extra competition. Um, in the end, playing Calgary in our own division gave us a lot of good competition. Um, so that was really important. How can we get extra competition outside of our conference? So we ended up playing those teams out West. Uh, we played U of S who was really strong. Um, the other thing was understanding, uh, because we were in divisions, we we were going to enter Canada West playoffs, uh, in a position. So they were going to rank us. They were going to seat us against other teams from the division. So number BC one and Alberta one. Uh, Prairie won. Um, and the way they set up the draw is we would cross over in all these different manners. And our goal was to make sure we're hosting uh, as much as we could. So there was three rounds of Canada West playoffs. The first was a round of 12 teams. And then the next was a round of six teams. And then the third was the final four. And our goal was to host uh, each round. Now um, the, the big reason there is uh, heading into the season, we knew that COVID could be an issue. So if we could host, that would be really beneficial. And then, of course, the normal home court advantage stuff. So when we ended up um, really trying to set that as a goal, which meant trying to get as many set wins as possible. So normally we're trying to get as many match wins, but set wins were extra important because we were going to be compared to teams from other divisions without ever playing them. And the way that they were dissecting that was your if you ended up being tied it, it would go to your set wins, which ended up helping us in the end. We didn't host the Cano West final four, but getting there, getting to the right crossover to face Trinity in the final, and then give us a favorable draw at U sports that all helped a lot because we didn't want to end up on the same side of the draw as Trinity. Right. So that was, that was a really big, those two pieces were from the planning perspective, really big. And then the other one personnel wise, uh, heading into the season, we, we always had high hopes for Isaac Hesselinga, but we didn't want to pin the season on him. We we thought he would be a role player. Um, and he smashed those expectations and became our our go-to guy at times. Um, right. that kind of happened over the Christmas break. And of course, we were gonna try to develop him into um a go-to guy, but we didn't want to expect and plan for that to happen. But in the end it did. And so that was uh that was really cool.
0: Okay, nice. So yeah, so takeaways here, you, you want to play higher competition that are, that's outside your division to get, to get those touches. Um, so when you went, when you went into, into the season or into the preseason for that matter, like did you have a plan in place of the style you wanted to play relative to the league? Did you have a, a type of offense you knew would put you guys in the best position to win or, or defense for that matter? Like What, what went into making those decisions?
1: Uh, offensively, we knew we wanted to run a lot through the middle of the court. Uh, Our middles are really powerful. Um, And we had at the time, well, we also had two really good pipe hitters in Braden Friesen and Isaac Hesslinga. So we wanted to have a a big chunk of our offense running through there. Um, I I find that the right side position is interesting in our league. uh, Not all right sides can hit a long ball. Uh, Very few can hit a long ball out of the back row. And then to match it up with a setter who's good at finding that long ball you need there's a lot of moving parts that need to fall in line and we had all those moving parts with max elgert and jordan cannon so that was the other thing if we can control the middle of court and also rely on our long ball back uh offensively that would be the makeup of our game uh the next thing was to um to really try to develop powerful serving um it, every year it comes down to first contact and that was the case in our final as well especially a couple of break points that we got um you have to be you have to be really good from the service line so a lot of what we did was trying to train and upgrade all those things and even to the last the last couple of months you look at a guy like cam kern uh who struggled a lot over the year serving doing that float serve and then we decided um in the last few months hey let's you have a really good ball on or hand on ball let's go back to your spin serve and in the national final, he was hit and serves, I think our, um, data was showing 105 kilometers per hour, which is a howitzer for our league.
0: Right, right. No, phenomenal. Um, uh, just to, just to, uh, confirm, what do you mean by long ball out of the, out of the, out of the backcourt?
1: Yeah. So when the setter is moving towards the left front, so they're chasing a pass that is, uh, for Canada or international position four, or yep. they're running forward. Being able to set long distance behind them to the right side, front row and back row, and Max Algard has a phenom. He, Max Algard, our, our setter, has a phenomenal back set, and that would go to Jordan Canham, our our opposite, who's really really physical, really strong. It tends to be guys that are really physical and really strong that are able to manage that long ball. And again, if you watch the national final, that was a strength of ours being able to set him from everywhere.
0: Yes, I did. I did notice that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let, I want to talk about the the powerful serving. I, and I 100% agree with you that the reason we lost in the playoffs was because, uh, you know, Humber was a much more dominant serving team than we are, and they took us out of system quite a bit. Uh, so how did you train and upgrade that those serves?
1: Well, we try to find a profile for every athlete um, to see what's, you know, what, what, what type of serve won you know is it a spin is it a float are you a a dual guy like for for most of the year max algert our setter and all Canadian he was either spinning or floating and then he just put the float away um at the end of the year and became really really consistent and powerful with his spin. Jordan Canham was a uh, a guy that went back and forth between a high toss spin and a low toss spin and landed on a low toss spin in the last couple months and that really worked for him. Um, we have Graden Weave, who has one of the most devastating floats in the conference or country, um, just trying to make sure we find what that guy's wheelhouse is, um, and then really sinking our teeth into the intricacies of each serve with conversations and training, uh, with the radar gun, what bandwidth we want them serving at, what's too high, what's too low. Um, and that's done relentlessly over and over uh, every practice. Um, and we try to find that for everyone. Um and that can take a number of years. Like Graydon Weeb, yeah, he's got such a phenomenal float. But his first year when he came in, he was, he struggled to find his rhythm and was kind of all over the place. He was doing some spin serving, he was doing a high toss float, and then just really found it. Um, found his his groove halfway through COVID and then came out this year with just an incredible float serve. And I find that when guys kind of find their profile, at all, they also find their confidence in. Uh, I think that's with grade and with right. cam current guys that were just phenomenal servers for us in the playoff run.
0: Right. No, fantastic. So, uh, just to recap a little bit there, we talked about, um, running a lot in the middle and the pipe, you guys, uh, you felt like you were dominant there. Um, powerful serving, uh, really, really, uh, you know what it, it's, it's funny about the, the, the profiling each athlete. Um, yeah, I, I think that that's, that's, the, that's the key to really, uh, unleashing great serving potential from each player. Cause everyone serves differently. Everyone has different tendencies and certain things like that. We, we do something similar. You guys take it a little bit of a step up than what we do, but very, very similar. Uh, anything else that you guys ha- had an emphasis on this season?
1: Um, I think th- there was a number of things, but globally, I think those are the, the key things and we're always talking about and focusing on our culture and how we can be, strong that way, because I think that bolsters your performance and also gives guys a good experience. Um, so our, our culture is a really important piece to what we do with the
0: Bears. Uh, which you're actually, you actually let me input to my next question. Um, I was going to talk about culture because culture, as I'm sure all, a lot of our listeners know, is is super important to uh, a, ch- a championship team and, and a competitive team at that. Um, so you want to, uh, w- with culture, it's such a broad uh, spectrum. Um, but what are some things that are special about the university of Alberta's men's volleyball culture that you, you guys think is very unique to yourself or is a big part of why you were able to be successful this season?
1: Well, I don't know that it's unique to ourselves, but the, it all, uh, kind of stems, I would say from our weight room and our weight room culture. So a number of years ago, um, we, we put a really, um, Adamant effort into updating our weight room culture. We had Michael Cook, who's the, the strength coach with the national team. Now um, he was work- he he started at U of A, um, and he approached me and wanted to get involved and had this vision of how to update our our weight room commitment, our weight room culture, and that was not met uh, all that well from our players because it involved getting them up early in the morning, making workouts mandatory, and having everyone in as much as possible together. Um, And yeah, we have to fight the players on it, but eventually, and the guys that are seniors now were just coming into the program and they really bought in Um, and it became a a point of pride to get up early, to be there, to be with the guys, to be on time um, and to be putting in hard work there. And I think that that that's one of the building blocks of, Hey, if we're going to be good, we have to do this extra stuff off the court. And I see that um, transfer into the gym, like the expectations of how hard you need to work um, in the weight room, in the gym. Um, and to give a, another story about uh, that type of commitment, I'll go back again to Cam Kern and uh, one of our senior middles, um, Liam Huth. Uh, you know, when we when we play on a weekend, uh, there's certain guys that don't get in. Um, and when Cam wasn't wasn't starting, uh, he was still you know, a kind of a, a seventh or eighth man that could get subbed into a game, but we want him to still get physical load over the weekend. So we play Friday and Saturday nights and we asked him, you know, Cam, you're not, you're the way that the match is set up, you're not getting in. So you're missing some physical load that Friday. What do you think about working out Friday night, going to the gym when we're, wow. when we're at home? And I, I approached him and Liam Huth and said, what do you guys think about this? Uh, it's optional from a staffing perspective. So if you don't want to do it, that's fine. But I think it would be really good for you guys. And they bought in quickly and they started doing that. And after every Friday match, I started to see more and more guys with their gear still on walking to our weight room. Wow. And it got to the point where we were down playing Mount Royal, where we had eight or nine guys after Friday asking to get into the weight room to get lift in, to get extra work in. um, and uh, I thought that was really cool to see those guys really go with it. And I think when it comes down to how to, how is our how where does the strength of our culture come from? I, I think it is players like guys like some guys you don't see like Liam Huth is a really big um, culture guy for us. Uh, there's the guys you do see like Jordan Canham, Max Elgar. They're phenomenal. Like Max is our lifeblood. But there's a lot of guys that care deeply, and that's more of an example for me. I think there's little things and Fantastic. other things that that I'm trying to plant, plant seeds on, but really it's going to be the guys. And so if I can help the guys get there and steer them in the right direction, lay some foundations, um, there's certain things we do, whether it's book studies or leadership meetings, um, role clarity meetings. Um, if, if I can lay some foundations and then let those guys really go to work and make sure I'm supporting them the way I should. And that's not always, I don't always do that perfectly as a, as a coach and that's how it goes. But, um, I think the, uh, if you have that intent and you have um, a sensitivity of of where it needs to be at, then, then um, you have a chance at creating really strong culture and letting our players just really go to work on it has been successful
0: to us. That's For a us. great story. That is a great story. I love that. Uh, so that is the definition of weight room culture. Yeah, absolutely. Um, how many times do you guys lift a week?
1: It depends on the season or a point it depends on the stage in the season it depends on the role on the team. So if it's preseason, we lift four times a week, mm-hmm. uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday. Um, that will stay for guys that we call like developmental guys. So guys that really need to keep building, building for pretty much the whole season unless they unless they start. Um, the we we have been um doing two to three lifts for our starters, but it's really two lifts Monday, Wednesday. So if we're in season, Monday, Wednesday they lift and then Friday they'll do like a power lift that's more of just a primer to get mm-hmm. them going. Mm-hmm. But if they're uh if they're developmental guys that we need in the weight room more, um, they'll do that. Those guys will do a power lift on Friday and then more of a strength-based lift on Saturday to really get them going. And we'll push it a little. Like, I'll push it uh, at certain points in the season where I'll risk a guy uh, lifting hard on Saturday and that might get in Saturday night and Mm -hmm. because we just need him getting more and more um, physicality. And that's been something like going back to Michael Cook and some areas Terry and I evaluated that we needed to improve upon uh, strength being one of them. That's something we've, we've really went to the drawing board big time about five years ago. And I think when you look at our team where we're at now, there's a lot of physical guys.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. When, when I was looking at you guys play you, there, that's clear. And fa- yeah, really great, really great job. So the, the weight room culture is extremely evident. And, and when, just out of curiosity, when you say early morning, how early are we talking here?
1: Uh, yeah, that's an interesting point. Um, so we don't make it w- with our team training guys got to be there like we we're pretty um stringent with when guys need to be at team training at evening so we don't have yeah. a lot of flexibility there but with early morning lifts we try to manage their classroom schedule because we also have a lot of really academic guys
0: mm-hmm.
1: so generally it's like 8 to 9:30 lifts but there'll be guys like uh <laughs> go back to like a grade and weaver or max Elgar. those are engineers and they're so dialed that they'll come in and lift even earlier, like 630, because they gotta, they gotta get to like their 8am class. So, um, there'll be variations or maybe a guy has a class at eight and he comes in like nine 30 or 10 through COVID that was more difficult because we had to have very specific scheduled times, um, based on spacing requirements in our weight room. But, uh, yeah, it's not much later than, than eight.
0: Okay. No, that's cool. So, so uh, athletes can come depending on their schedule and depending on their time, as long as they get the lift in
1: as long as you get the lift in but again going back to like michael cook's vision it, and what i still try to make sure we're doing is having guys in there together is together yes is a culture accelerator Yes, and uh, actually one of the one of the things that was really interesting we had a recruit in a few months back um and he you can tell if you look at him um he's jacked he's a big weight room guy yeah we had him in for the friday morning lift and one of our younger players was missing or late and our guys were super upset and they just, you know, they, a recruit there or not didn't matter. The guys were like, what's going on? And they got on it right away and talked to that athlete. They're calling him, making sure he's out of bed. Right. And then once he got there, giving him the gears that he needed to get. And it ended up being at that, that recruit that actually, even though I think that recruit both that day, he saw our guys coming down on a, uh, a guy that was late. And I think I actually ran the guys that day and that recruit committed to following
0: the following because he left.
1: <laughs> yeah. Because he was a big gym head and saw how important it was to the team.
0: Right. Oh, that's fantastic. So we got weight room culture, which I love, uh, leadership meetings, work study, anything else, um, culture wise that you think stands out about you guys?
1: Um, just the guys, Brian, you know, it's the, they put a lot of time in. I bet I, I don't even know a lot of the stuff. Like it's the guys. And I think one of the things I've learned more and more is that you really gotta have a mind for recruiting guys that you think will be good guys. Um, and in in our country, that's a little trickier because it's not like recruits are that plentiful. So you're trying to get good volleyball players and hope you can turn them into good guys if they're not because you know they're 18 year old guys and some guys are great dudes some guys are punks um yep. but uh <laughs> i'm really excited about our recruiting class coming in. we got some awesome volleyball players that are also just wicked wicked guys and right. um i don't know if you would know any of them but uh they're they're just stellar dudes that when they when they show up i think it's going to just really sh- continue to strengthen our right. culture now first years as they go they're going to have to get used to stuff and we'll crack the whip when we need to but i see a lot of uh leadership and high performance attitudes from the guys coming in so i'm really excited about that
0: okay no that's great if they're from ontario i probably know them but if not then i probably wouldn't but that's i'm excited yeah, we don't have guys. any
1: ontario guys uh this year we do have a quebec guy oh nice know you know charles saint uh just made some big waves at the ccaa national championship oh was, yeah
0: yeah 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 that's yeah. right that's right yes I do know yeah oh that's great actually funny enough um you guys what what I think after the quarterfinals it was it was a can West tournament is that right
1: yes uh yeah. no uh no because sherbrooke
0: oh sherbrooke sherbrooke. Sherbrooke. that's yeah. right sherbrooke was still in it I'm thinking of Ontario teams I apologize yeah yeah, yeah. so that that's a pretty cool uh that that's an that's that shows the level of quality of volleyball that you guys have to be up against every night. You know, like that's impressive.
1: Yeah. And I, I, like I'll be the first of many to contend that Ken West is stronger, but I think everyone has to remember that. OUA only played, you know, 12 games. So they didn't have their, uh, they didn't have their regular, they didn't go through their regular paces. Right. Um, so it was, uh, and you could kind of see it in the way they played, like it was a different look from them, but that yeah, right. can West was, was really strong. Like Calgary was, I don't think anyone, uh, at the start of the season had Calgary projected to be at the national tournament, but as we went through, you could really see it, man. That, that was one of the most improved teams, right. uh, in Can West. They were, right. they were unreal and really well coached.
0: Right, yeah. right, right. Oh, okay. That's great. Um, the last thing I want to ask about culture, um, and if, if you don't have anything to say about this, no problem, but you know, every team has their, every team has something different about them. Like I'll give you an example. So uh, on our team, You know, it's an expectation for the guys to high five all their teammates before they touch a ball. And then before they leave the gym, they have to high five all their teammates before they leave the gym. You know, like the, the little nuances like that in culture that's expected to, to be there. Do you guys have any of those little, little things? Uh, you know, whether it's a high five, whether that, that was my example, but do you have anything special like that where just you guys do it's different? Well, another thing we do too is um, before our guys uh, come on the court in a game, they touch the floor and they touch their heart to show respect for the game. I'm a big person on respect and respecting the game and having that energy. So that's something they do every time they step on the floor uh, before they go onto the court. So those are like little things that we do. Do you, do you guys have anything like that that you guys do?
1: Yeah, like ours, we have probably three things that I could uh, speak to. So um, I don't know if it's a little thing, but it's something we do. We've been doing for a few years now. We do a grat- gratitude circle once a week, where we where we stand around and talk about what we're grateful for. Uh, one of the the circle is really important to us, um, and uh, and our our presence. So in through the season, we talked about our showing our presence through looking each other in the eyes, um, coming together in our circle and then communicating on what's coming next. Those three things we talked about a lot, a lot. Um, And then the last one, we actually, we try to really buy into a competitive nature. We have, uh, our saying is good news off the court, bad news on the court. And I am a big fan of guys expressing their competitive side on the court. Um, And There's a bunch of, pictures floating around of our guys having a, a thumb down and that's just a, um something that's come out of come organically out of our our player group which means that was bad news that was bad like that was we're it's it's mm-hmm. weird because that's kind of means we've done something successful like we're being we're being bad news and like that. that's something that the guys have really grabbed hold of uh we it really got reinvigorated. So a long time ago when Terry played, that was their thing. They wanted to be the bad news bears, which is a old, old school movie. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but um, George Holborn was one of our all-time best middle blockers and one of our leaders. Uh, He was one of those guys in 2019, 20 that didn't get a shot at the, at the championship. And we called him Mr. Bad news um, because of the way he played with his swagger and everything. And that was something that I really like as a player and want our guys to feel free to, to be when they play and I think that the guys have really grabbed hold of that this year and there's that's not not just the guys you see on the court there's a lot of guys on the bench who are in the games just trying to really have a presence from from the bench and that that bad news piece I think is a really big big part of who this team was this year.
0: Nice. No, I love it. Yeah. I know these are I, I love when I when I hear these little things from coaches because uh these are important. And I feel like every coach listening to this, um, you know, sometimes it's you you gotta you gotta do what works for you, but finding these things like the gratitude circle is fantastic. Uh, I think that's super important, you know, team meetings, like things like where the guys can connect and build those relationships. And I mean, you have the personnel for it on top of that. So that's just that's perfect. Okay, so we talked about a lot of off season stuff. Um, let's start getting into more, uh, in season or, or training camp. Um, was there, let's, let's go to training camp. Um, you want to describe what a training camp looks like for you guys, uh, before the regular season. Uh, and when I say training camp, I mean, I know I'm, I'm assuming that some of these, uh, exhibition games, like that's part of training camp, but is there anything else that's part of training camp that's important?
1: Yeah. So we, uh, this, we have to be careful this year because we're still like very much in COVID, right? And um, Dealing with that, what we chose to do is try to spend three weeks on the beach. So we're pretty lucky that we actually have one of the best beach venues. It's outdoor, but I, I guess it's called a beach venue um, right by our our main gym. Not a lot of people know that. So we we booked three weeks there. Um, unfortunately, there are some weather issues, but we we trained a lot on the beach to start. We always do try to do... At least one week when we can mm-hmm. um the other thing unfortunately got canceled this year but normally what we do is uh again going back to cam Kern, his family has a cabin out at a lake not far and we try to go spend a weekend out there and do a bunch of culture accelerator stuff uh that's where our book study normally takes place and we do a bunch of other team stuff and we do a uh, gbv chopped which is uh, guys just get assigned get assigned uh, a dish that they have to make in groups for, for everyone to eat dinner Oh, that's God. that's a big one for us. We do a number of culture things. Um, we actually do, uh, one of our alumni has a, a fit set ninja. You know, those like American Ninja Warrior. Yeah. Yeah. Tim Gourlay is a former uh, cha- national champion for us. He owns one of those in the city and we'll go do that. That's really fun. It's tough not to, we got to make sure the guys don't uh, get injured during it because it's pretty, pretty gnarly. Right. But uh, there's a bunch of those culture things we try to do and get guys together a lot. Um, and then um, sorry, go ahead. Uh, on, on court, we just, you know, trying to get us physically up to speed and making sure we're hammering the weights, uh, hammering the skills, uh, trying to, for, trying to get, I'm trying to figure out what it is that we need to be focusing on from a, from a technical and tactical side early, depending on that group. And that's usually decided way before the season. And then we depend based on the group and what I perceive the group needs. We're trying to arrange competition commensurate to what we need. So like this year, we have our tournament, which normally is just Alberta teams. Uh, this year, we invited UBC and and Trinity, uh, which we normally don't do. And then we also got invited to the Blue Team Cup out West. Uh, ben, jokingly, Ben jo- Josephson jokingly wanted us to show up in blue jerseys. I said, no chance. <laughs> but uh, he had us out there anyways. And so that was a little different. But normally, we're trying to get... So that that's what this preseason... Um, what it demanded based on what I saw, and we're we're trying to get stuff like that going, uh, trying to get as many games as we can, and get the guys seasoned before we hit hit the first match of the regular season.
0: Okay, no, I love it. Yeah, um, hundred uh, eh, percent. Let's talk. Let's go. Let's go to. Uh, match preparation. So we got a really good grasp of what you guys do uh, off season. You you've determined, um, where your strengths are, you determined what you're going to train and how you're going to train it uh, in terms of the serving and stuff like that. Um, let's talk about match preparation. What goes into match preparation for you to put yourself in the best position to win?
1: Well, it's, it's like I like to think of it like a a funnel. Um, so if you think of it, top of the funnel as being really wide, obviously in the bottom being really narrow, the coaches start with all this breadth of data. We were wide with everything we want to know about the team. And then at the end of the prep period, we got to get it down to that, that really narrow end that we're delivering to the athletes. Um, That's basically the, the global perspective of what we're trying to do. And that can end up being just a few things that we're giving them uh, depending on the team we're playing but we as a staff want to make sure we do our work to to sift through all that data. And I'm lucky that I have, um, one of the best, well, an incredibly good stats man that's been with our, our team for 25 years, uh, who dives deep in a, a number of games, um, old school paper style. And then I, then we utilize stuff like volumetrics to, to go further into synthesis of data. And then watching a bunch of video of staff, I I've been big on, um, I find like players will comprehend match plans better if they're involved in the scouting process. So the expectation of the guys, I, I hand them a sheet uh, Monday night and they're expected to go home and watch 20 to 25 minutes on our upcoming opponent. And there's certain things they have to fill out on the sheet. And the purpose of that is, is not really the sheet. It's just to get them engaged and have, have some eyes for who we're playing. Um, and then I take that sheet uh, I'll hand it back to them Wednesday when we do our team match prep, and that just gives them a prep of what to expect. And then I find that doing that, you know, you, you don't have guys that are Wednesday. You know, can be a long day school wise if they've already prepped in their mind a little bit, then they can stay a little more engaged. Uh, the interesting thing is, our interesting byproduct is there's a lot of little things from those sheets that end up getting onto the match plan because those guys have good eyes for the game and we're able to integrate those. And then there's other meetings along the way. We have pass video, just scouting their servers. Uh, we do a setter video. Um, usually our setter video is a debrief of what we did the week before and then um, a preparation of what we want to do on the upcoming on the upcoming opponent. So through the week, it's two and two. What, and what I mean by that, we play Friday. Monday, Tuesday is the two where we're uh, just really thinking about what what we need to continue to improve upon for our team. And then the Wednesday, Thursday is when we're sinking our teeth into more what we want to do for the upcoming team. And that's... The upcoming team doesn't take over our focus on our development because at the end of the day, we think it's what we're doing. That's more important rather than what they're doing, but we do integrate some stuff on court that we want to do match plan wise. So we're getting a kinesthetic feel for, for the upcoming match plan.
0: You guys, um, when you said, uh, pastor video setter video, is that in separate groups, like your setters do their own thing? Passers do their own thing.
1: Yep. Uh, I have a, we're really lucky with how many staff we have, um, and so I'll have one of my assistant coaches prepare a sheet and some clips real quick on their servers. Yeah. And they'll look at that Wednesday and Thursday. And just so they understand, okay, he hits this spin from this area and it goes to that area. We set up like this and call it a game of inches on receive, which it really is like how you set up your feet can really determine whether you're passing a, a one or a three on a yeah. four point scale and having those kind of conversations and, we have such a good group that sometimes it's just giving that stuff to Landon Curry and then he'll go to town on, on uh, making a plan. Um, but yeah, just getting some, some prep there. Yeah. And with setters. Setters come with me. Uh, they'll come up to my office uh, Monday to talk about the previous weekend and then we'll plan either Tuesday or Wednesday to talk about the upcoming opponent. And that involves a lot of stats. It's, it's mostly the, the more and more I, I do it, the more and more I've shifted to focusing more on our side and little tiny tweaks we might want to make based on the upcoming opponent. Because, you know, when you watch, depending on the team, when you watch some of what their blocking schemes do, that might be more related to the opponent they are playing at the time. Right, And you got to try to keep that in mind when you're doing any kind of offensive prep.
0: Right. Okay. No, it makes sense. So you got your scouting reports, you got your video, uh, really great analogy with the funnel. I love that. Um, let's talk game day. Is there anything special about game day? What's the routine for game day?
1: Game day, uh, again, like culture wise, we used to do optional, uh, serve passes at home and I made them mandatory and there was no bones about that. Like the players, um, have been able to manage school, uh, amongst that. And I think getting, again, when it comes to that serve focus that we are talking about earlier, home court advantage is a lot about serve. So if we can take advantage of that extra hour that we get Friday, um, and if guys are able to manage that around classes, that that's a big one for us. Um, and uh, there's not a there's not a ton more like in between that and and um, when we arrive at the gym to get ready for the match, uh, we used to always meet at this pasta place in one of the areas in the university, but that kind of went on hold because of the pandemic. Uh, once guys show up, then we do, uh, we do two meetings, an hour and a half and a 45 minute, not the hour and a half. Again, the idea of empowering the athletes and them having the autonomy over the game plan, we split up into positional groups and they all talk about um, what to expect from the opponent and what we want to do based on the group you're in. So that'll be the passing group, the middle group, um, the setting group, and then they'll do two meetings in those silos to make sure we're covering all phases of the game. Um, rather than me just saying stuff to them, I, I like getting them engaged and talking to each other. And it's cool to see who, who ends up leading those and things they talk about. And there's coaches hovering around, adding points here and there. And then that 45 minutes, is a quick check in guys play the same cool song that I really like really loud in our team room. Right. And, uh, we go over a couple of rotational reminders and then, and then we get at it.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's great. I like that. And, um, where did the opposite go? Uh
1: yeah, so the so if I'm gonna break it down big like uh specifically, like the first group the first meeting is a block defense meeting. So the opposites and setters are talking about uh their left sides. Our left sides are are talking about their right sides and our our defense. The opposite and setter are talking about our defense as well. And then the mids and libs are talking about our defense, Mm -hmm. block defense. Mm -hmm. Um and then the second group is our receivers. So the opposites often go to the receiving line. Cause we almost always have our opposites receive. Uh, okay. Jordan Canham is a, quite a good receiver. So he's involved in that as well. Uh, the middle's in that second group are talking about the setters and then our setters are meeting with me to talk about our offense.
0: Right. So that's can't so forget in, about
1: those opposites. Right. Got to include
0: them. I know. Right. <laughs> so you, have, you have, um, in, in your, in your serve receive, you have an opposite pass and a left side hide or get ready to swing.
1: Yeah, it's uh, so going back to that midcourt piece we have, when we right. can, we have Jordan Tandem step in in rotations uh 1 and 5. Mm-hmm. Uh Canadian rotations 1 and 5 uh, mm-hmm. on float servers because then he he's really good at passing with his hands. Uh and then we're able to pull our pipe guy out. Um, That's right. And and so and then in the one rotation, it puts our libero in 6 as well, which is useful. Uh and but if it's a spinner, we don't do that. We're going to look at whether we continue to do it or well, we'll continue to do that for sure. Next year is just, I'd like to get Canham even more receiver reps because he can, you just have an impact. The more that guy can have an impact, the better.
0: Right. Right. No, fantastic. Okay. So we got match preparation. Uh, we're we're going to wrap up soon. we got match preparation, uh, training camp culture. Let's, let's go into more. Uh, let's, okay. So basically that's, this is the formula you, you've used to get to the playoffs and so forth. So now, now let's talk playoffs. We're hitting the playoffs. Um, does anything change in the playoffs? Does, you know, talk to me about playoffs.
1: No, nothing changes. So that's a big part of my coaching philosophy. Um, we talk about, uh, I often ask the guys why they compete and they know what answer I want. Um, and it's because there's someone on the other side. Uh, it doesn't change. I'm a very, very big believer that, um, you, you need to treat every game equally important. And that way, you know, when we got to the national final, our communication was we've played this game a hundred times. Uh, you know, we're, we're ready for this. Let's lean on our competitive philosophy. We'll get nervous. That's normal. Just be, just have each other's back when that happens and we know we need to be bold to win this game. So lean on the fact that we've played this game a hundred times. It's no different. Um, and that's the same as any, any playoff, uh, playoff game we played. Like it's, uh, that's really what I believe. I don't believe in like the big game or that like Hollywood's perception of sport. I think that high performers just do what they always do. You know, like take any high performer in any sport. He's, he's amazing all the time. And just, he doesn't step it up for the NBA finals or for the super bowl. Like he plays, plays that way all the time. It's just that we tend to hype it up more as media. That's, that's my opinion though. Um, And I try to, I try to, um, have our guys really buy into that and I think that that worked for us this year the one thing that was different for us this year was that our lineup changed um, quite drastically right before playoffs so Braden Freeze and our team Canada left side went down with a meniscus tear oh. and then Cam Kern uh, who's normally uh, our backup setter uh, said he'd like to try to play left side and he's um, an incredible volleyball player with yep. uh, just an incredible mind for the game so we put them in and tried that out and looked good. And, um, yeah. but in terms of the overall messaging, how we're approaching the game nothing changed.
0: Okay. No, fantastic. And then in ter- and let's, let's talk, uh, nationals, like national finals. Now you're going up against uh, the number one ranked team in the country, you know, I, so based on what you told me, everything remains the same in terms of preparation and stuff like that. Um, let's talk tactical. Like what did you guys have to do tactically to win that game?
1: Um, so again, it wasn't that there was a ton that changed in terms like tactically, we just, we did the same thing. We always did did our match prep and we had the good thing. We just played them a week earlier. So there wasn't a ton. We changed. We had the same game plan with Trinity, the way they ran their rotations. We just really needed to, when we play them in the conference final, we really need to simplify the rotations. Because there's just little things we could sink our teeth into, based on on their six two hybrid that they were running. Um, so we did that. We looked at it. We tweaked it a bit. Um, just a couple of things that changed, whether it's was attacker angles or rotations. We could we could key on. Um, and then it was the same similar messaging. Our, we we knew it was this that the game would come down to serve pass, and that we needed to be bold. Those are the two things. Like if we're gonna win this. It's got to be that we serve past well and that we go for it. There's a lot of that communication. Like we know they're a good team. We know they're going to play tough, yeah. but we're a good team too. And if we go for it, if we be bold, we could win this thing. So let, let's do that. Let's, let's lean on, like I said, our competitive philosophy and let's just go for it. And that's exactly what the guys did.
0: Which I think you answered my next question, which was going to be, what are the top three things that you think made you a national champion? So, uh, would that be the same answer? Like those, that's it?
1: Uh, I I think our culture made us, that was probably the driving force. I don't think we can have someone like Cam Kern go from being a setter to a starting middle to a uh, starting left side. And for us to win, especially against such a good team without our culture. And I don't think he could thrive as strongly as he did without such a strong culture. So I think the guys really rallied around that change now, it's not that, like, Cam Curran playing left side was the key to us winning winning the championship. That's not it at all. But, right. like, the fact that we could do that and still play so well and have all the guys on board, I think, speaks to our culture. Beating Trinity and, like, to like the strategy of those things, I, I think that's what you're asking, like, the serve pass and and our guys being bold. I think those were the keys for us. But the reason we won, I think, was our culture and the, just the three years in the making and all the, all the time guys put in, like I think back to the COVID year and just the relentless commitment to getting better. And I think of what it was like to watch, um, to watch a guy like Max Auger coming to the gym, <clears throat> sorry, coming to the gym every day and, and just work so hard after uh, having his, after having the championship pulled away from him the year before and the commitment he made to coming back and, uh, all the hard work he put in, in the shadows and the guys around him. And you know, that year is like we came to the gym and there were a lot of smiles in the gym and it was tough not having to play, but I think of all the work guys put in that year and how strong that made our, our culture. I think it really is that.
0: Right. No, fantastic. <clears throat> fantastic. So let's, um, Let's just recap here because there, there's a lot of great great nuggets in here. So I mean this this is the the, the whole point was I was I was trying to get the story of, of, of a national championship team and I, I think we got it today. So you know we started with, with the offseason and what, what went into that offseason, you know, playing higher competition outside your league, looking at your team personnel and figuring out what do what are we really good at and how can we maximize. Um, our ability to play this game. And you mentioned it started from, you know, we, you guys wanted to really run a lot of the middle, you had the middle and pipe going, um, that, that long ball to the right side. We, you understood that serving is going to be extremely uh, important for you guys. And you trained it. Um, you looked at each individual profile for your athletes and and again, every athlete's different, which I, I, I love completely. I'm, I'm all about that and figured out a way to maximize their serve and their ability to play this game. And then you talked a lot about culture. I love the weight room culture. That's, that's fantastic. And I think that coaches listening to this can really appreciate that. And and I, 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 for, I for sure got some ideas in my head of how I'm going to be planning my next season with regards to weight room culture. And then your uh, leadership meetings, work study, um, the gratitude circle once a week was fantastic. That's a, that's a great uh, that's a great thing to have. And I I just, just for the guys to just step away from the game and really get a chance to look at each other, look at each other, you know, in, in the eyes and, and, and just, have that connection like that's fantastic. Um, good news off the court, bad news on the court. I love that. That's great. (laughs) Um, Then the the training camp. No, it's really cool you guys, you know, the the incorporating the beach aspect of it, going away for a week. Um, I love the the guys cooking meals. That's cool. That's pretty cool. (laughs) I can only imagine how, how much fun that turns out to be. Um, then you got the, the match match preparation. The funnel was a great analogy in terms of match match preparation, taking all the data and then figuring out what what's important to deliver to your team. I love the idea of mixing up groups to look at film, so um, they get a better understanding, as well as giving the guys the sheet on Monday and having them look at film too. We uh, in our gym, we, we do the same thing. We'll give them at our, at our level; it, it's a little bit different in terms of the timing, but we'll give them basically, you know, um, passing, and they have to track the the, the passers. Everyone's responsible for tracking the passers and coming coming to, to film with that in hand. So I can definitely appreciate that uh, game day serve and pass. Absolutely. And then based on everything that I've gathered here, the, you know, the ingredients of a championship team, well, at least a, a lot of the, the ingredients today was, is, is culture, I, looking at who you are, identifying at what we can do to maximize our strengths, really dialing into your culture. And I think another thing I want to point out is that you mentioned personnel, you know, when you're bringing guys or, or girls in your gym, knowing who they are, like you really personnel is such a huge thing because they have to buy in and then they have to, not not only buy-in but really as as a group buy-in you know five people can buy in and five people can't you have a problem so that was really and have your leaders too to hold your players accountable so that was um that was great i think that that's a really that's that's a great story of winning a championship i think did i forget anything
1: no you uh
0: summarized that very well brian nice job hey. yeah i'm trying to take my notes while you speak here to make sure i don't miss anything <laughs> I, you know I, like i like i mentioned earlier in the episode i always like coaches to take away tangible things. And I think not only did we hear a great story to a national champion, uh, national championship, but um, there is, there is some really great nuggets that people can take away with them uh, on this. A- any, any last minute thoughts uh, you want to share with our listeners about uh, from a national championship coach, any, any words of advice, any thoughts?
1: Be bold, be bold.
0: Okay. Well said. Yeah, absolutely. Two words. Put that on a T-shirt. You guys gotta put that on a T-shirt. <laughs> yeah, that is great. Well, Brock, listen, man. Thank you so much uh, for joining me again uh, on another episode. I think this is this is just as even probably more valuable um, than the last one, if not just as much. I get both episodes were fantastic. By the way, we had Brock on the podcast um, uh, early last year. Uh, he did a he did a talk on setting. So if you get a chance to go back to that one. Um, Brock specializes in setting. He, 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 runs a setting Academy as well. I'm um, out of uh, Alberta and that was episode 75. So episode 75, we talked about setting. Um, uh, we broke it down completely. So if you get a chance take a listen to that and for our other coaches out here, uh, thank you so much for tuning in. We, you got a treat tonight. I think you're going to have to go back and re-listen to this because there's a lot of things you might want to write down and make note of to see how you can implement in your gym. Uh, but Brock, thanks so much, man. I appreciate it. Listeners. I will see you next week on another episode of the Volleyball by Design podcast. Take care. All right, cue the music. Look, are you at the stage you wanna be in your volleyball journey? How would it feel to get clarity on your training? And instead of taking months to get better, you could improve in weeks, if not days. When I was a young coach and player, I felt this way all the time. The truth is, after I got some great advice on how to be efficient, my learning curve grew exponentially.